What would you do if you could do anything? Welcome back to The Purpose Effect. I'm Elena. Welcome back to Bites of Purpose, your monthly bite-sized episode on ideas that will help you discover, build, and grow purpose in your life. Today, we're talking about how to live slow. The last two years have been slow, and while that's certainly come with a whole host of challenges, this year, I found myself stumbling when I felt that all of a sudden things were speeding up. The idea that I could, or even that I should, slow down was never something that I thought about pre-pandemic. I'm a working parent, and like most of us, getting it all done was the daily challenge. Scheduling was everything. There were almost always items left on my to-do list at the end of the day, but slowing down? That meant not keeping up. But slow living is not about being lazy. It's also not about nostalgia for times gone by when life was slower and our worlds were smaller. It is about rejecting the belief that faster is always better. It's about allocating enough time for things rather than doing too much too quickly. And while I recognize the irony in talking about slow living in a bite-sized quick episode, I hope this gives you some food for thought. And speaking of food for thought, that's where the slow movement all began. It began with the slow food movement in Italy in 1986. McDonald's was planning to open its largest outlet yet on the Piazza di Spanga in Rome. There was a lot of opposition to this, with Italians describing it as the Americanization of Italy. A journalist by the name of Carlo Petrini was concerned that fast food was culturally homogenizing and that it would lead to the loss of traditional food cultures and destroy the businesses of small growers and artisanal producers. To demonstrate this, he started handing out plates of penne to the protesters, proclaiming, we don't want fast food, we want slow food. Today, the slow food movement is active in more than 150 countries worldwide. It wasn't until 2004 that Canadian journalist Carl Honoré wrote in praise of slowness and took some of the ideas behind the slow movement to support slowing down all parts of our lives. Honoré believes that slowness is about assigning exactly the right amount of time to our activities, rather than trying to do more in the same amount of time. We have deeper relationships, perform better at work, and are happier if we focus on doing less at the right pace. Wanting to live fast is a relatively new cultural phenomenon, born out of the fact that we can. Since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, technology has allowed us to do everything faster. Our household chores, our work, even our daily commute. Time became money, a finite commodity. There was nothing worse than wasting it. But before we started viewing time as finite, we saw it as cyclical, seasonal. While there may only be 24 hours in this day, those hours will repeat again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Choose how you spend your time wisely, because it's repeated. The first step in living slow is to decide how you want to spend your time. Step one values. 
We all have things we need to do with our time. I get it. I have a job and a family and two little boys who have just asked me for the third time for a snack from the living room couch. But what would you do if you could do anything? After you've dedicated time to your job, your studies, your family, whatever else are the non-negotiables in your life, what do you want from the time left over? Laura Vanderkam is an international expert on time management and has written a number of books on how certain people manage to do it all. In Off the Clock, Laura describes scheduling a meeting with a senior executive of a large international technology company. While assuring him she would only take an hour of his time, he responded, I have all the time in the world. All the time in the world? How could a busy guy like that have all the time in the world when most of us struggle to find time to finish our coffee while it's still hot? Vanderkam learns that the most productive people are not the busiest. They are just the best at allocating their time. Her research also finds that certain activities create the feeling of having more time. They can actually stretch time. Other activities create the opposite feeling. They suck time. In her research for the book, Vanderkam conducts a survey of how people spent their time on a particular day. Those who spent the most time with family and friends were also the most likely to report feeling that they had more time in general. Those who spent the least time with family and friends, however, felt that they had the least amount of time in general. So, if you can spend your time in ways you truly value, you will start to feel like you have more of it. You can actually stretch it. Step two, simplify. There are many ways to practice minimalism. For many, minimalism is about reducing the clutter in their homes and spaces, removing anything that, in the words of Marie Kondo, doesn't spark joy. But it's also about removing emotional attachments or personal values to things. Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus are the minimalists. Through their website, podcast, and Netflix series, they have helped over 20 million people simplify their lives. To them, minimalism is freedom. It's a tool to rid yourself of life's excess in favor of focusing on what's important. So you can find happiness, fulfillment, and freedom. If you're a woman who came of age in the time of sex in the city or legally blonde, you're probably conscious of messaging that defines women in terms of what they spend their money on. If you could afford a pair of Manolos, that meant that you had made it, that you were successful and independent. It was never about the shoes. It was about what they signified. According to the minimalists, letting go is a muscle you need to exercise. One of their 16 rules for living is the one in, 10 out rule. If you want to buy something new, 10 other items must go. Want a new coffee machine? Out go 10 other kitchen appliances. New outfit for a party? 10 items from your wardrobe get donated. My mother used a much less extreme version of this when I was a child, but whenever we outgrew our clothes, she would take us shopping, but for every item we purchased, one thing from our wardrobe had to go. It certainly makes you think about how much you really need a purchase. Simplifying your diary is also part of this process. When we are overcommitted, we can only react to situations, not respond. 
In Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman describes two ways of thinking. System one is fast, intuitive, and emotional. It's the kind of thinking that happens unconsciously. If we hear a loud bang, we might jump. That's system one at work. System two is responsible for reasoning, decision-making, and self-control. If you were looking for someone in a crowd, you would probably think about their height, what they were wearing, maybe their hair color. Your mind will focus on this task. You won't notice anyone who doesn't fit the description of the person you are looking for. In my last Bite of Purpose, I talked about expediency bias and how when presented with certain pieces of information, our mind will come to a conclusion that may not be the correct one, just the quickest one, based on the data in front of us. System one tends to only call on system two if it can't figure out the answer itself. If we don't pause and reflect before coming to a conclusion, we risk only relying on system one to make decisions which might be better left to system two. In a high-speed workplace where we are overcommitted and have to make decisions quickly, we are under a lot of pressure to come to the quickest conclusion. Keeping your mind busy is not the best use of its powers. If we can shift the mind to a lower gear, we are better able to concentrate, reason, and think creatively, to come to the right solution, not just the fastest one. Step three, control your tech before it controls you. Cal Newport has been called the Marie Kondo of digital minimalism. He views technology as a tool to support what we really value, not as inherently valuable itself. Newport recommends a 30-day digital declutter. This isn't a detox, but it is a removing of the technologies that do not add value. Firstly, identify which tech is essential and which is optional. Essential tech is technology that is necessary for your personal or professional life. A laptop or a car to commute might be essential. Email may be essential, or apps like Slack or FaceTime. But if you can stop using it temporarily without harming your personal relationships or work life, then it's optional, and it can be put on ice for 30 days. Secondly, create tech operating procedures. Decide a clear set of rules around how you will use each of your technologies over the next 30 days. Maybe you'll switch off your computer and not respond to email after a certain time. Maybe you won't use social media. Remember, these technologies are designed to be addictive. In the attention economy, your time is a commodity. Thirdly, discover analog activities you enjoy. Carve out time for a run or a game of tennis. Read a book, a real book. Put your Kindle down. At the end of the 30 days, reflect and decide if you really want to reintroduce any of the optional technologies. But before doing this, you must consider, one, does this technology support something I really value? Two, is using this technology the best way to support what I really value? And three, what operating procedures will govern how I use this technology? Step four. Eat more consciously. For me, there's nothing better for the soul than a meal cooked and shared with people you love. While the slow food movement was founded on the principle that food systems should provide good, 
clean, and fair food for everyone, another element of slow food is being conscious about how we eat as much as what we eat. Eating local, seasonal, and plant-based foods is undoubtedly better for our environment. 30% of greenhouse gas emissions stem from food production and distribution. Adopting a plant-based diet of mostly local seasonal produce could reduce these emissions by up to 73%. Our busy lives have made us more reliant on convenience foods than ever before. We order food online. We pick up a takeaway or a ready-made meal at the supermarket. We have access to everything from blueberries to mangoes all year round, and most of us don't even know what seasons they grow in or where the fruit on our plate actually came from. I'm not saying we should put the genie back in the bottle, but we should try and slow down the way we eat. Firstly, where possible, buy local. Even better if you can buy directly from small producers. Secondly, go meatless one day per week. It might seem small, but the impact really adds up. If everyone in the United States, for example, gave up meat and dairy for one day a week, it would add up to the equivalent of taking 7.6 million cars off the road. And thirdly, cook food at home and eat as a family. The importance of mealtimes have been devalued in this age of quick food and digital distractions. How many of us eat at our desks at work or in front of the TV at home? Try and cook and eat as a family just a couple of times a week. Turn off the TV, put your phones away, and see what happens. In addition to eating slower and more mindfully, you might find it leads to deeper connections. My kids tell me things over dinner that make me marvel at how their little minds work. And if something is bothering them, this is usually the time that they'll want to talk to me about it. As it's the start of a new month, I thought I would put some of these ideas into practice. And I'll let you know how it's going on the blog. I'm also going to commit to a daily meditation practice and see if this improves my creative thinking or my ability to tap into system two. Try some of these ideas out yourself and let me know if they're working for you. I've put links to all of the books and articles I've mentioned in the show notes so you can begin your own journey of slow living. I'll meet you on the other side.